Media Production. And we're back and Papa's got a brand new bag. That new sound that you're hearing is compliments of my younger brother, Harrison Kramer. He just finished up his degree in audio engineering and music. And I'm really excited to start to get him a little bit more involved with what we have going on at Cold Shower because he just provides a skill set that I don't have. Uh, He just has a deeper level of knowledge regarding sound, sound quality, audio engineering, music, uh, different stuff like that. So Before we get into the episode, which has been a long time coming, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus. I want to remind you that this is a Cold Shower Media production. So Cold Shower Media is my company that I started officially last summer when I was laid off from my social work job and decided that there was room in the world for me to help companies and individuals produce their own podcasts. I want to do that. I like doing that because there are People out there that have really important stuff to say, but maybe they don't know how to get it out to the listening public. So I'm passionate about this and it's been going really, really well. However, I selfishly want to continue to work with more companies and more people. So if you're at all interested in what you're hearing, you can go to the services page at coldshowermedia.com. I'll link to it in the show notes and you can get a little bit deeper of a look at the types of things that we offer. There's just some really cool projects that we have done and that we are currently doing. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the one that has been piquing my interest, maybe the most, and that is the work and the collaboration that I have going on with the Boardman Review. So the Boardman Review, if you are unfamiliar, is a local Northern Michigan publication that is based out of Traverse City, Michigan. I've befriended both of the brothers that run the Boardman Review, and they actually had me write an essay for one of their issues maybe a year or so ago. And from there, it's been kind of a slow burn as we work together and collaborate on the Boardman Review Podcast Collective, which is a collection of various podcasts and shows. They cover everything from storytelling to improv and comedy to another show that I am actually involved in as both a host and a producer which is called Breaking the Surface, where we discuss culture, politics, entertainment, and anything in between. And so I just want to make you aware that if you live locally, there's some really cool things that are happening in the podcast world. And if you don't live locally, it still is interesting and relates to you. So check that stuff out. I'm going to link to the Boardman Review Podcast Collective in the show notes as well. All right. That's been long enough. I'm going to get you onto the show with Steve Rice. This was a really fascinating conversation and I think that you'll get a lot of value out of it. So let's do it. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited. Uh, You came into my uh, view from the illustrious Tom Gordon. So Tom Gordon, (laughs) for for loyal listeners, he's a a history professor and he's been on the show a couple of times just to kind of I always use him to provide a little perspective to whatever's happening in, in today's world. And he's usually pretty comforting because he yeah. has, he has the scope of history and has studied it. And so I always enjoy talking to him and I've gotten to know him really well. And he, he put me on to you. And so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, what you do, and then we'll talk sure. later a little more specifically about the project yeah. that you have going on. So my name is Steve Rice and um, I'm a friend of Tom Gordon's. I call him the good man, Tom Gordon. But uh, we teach together over at the college NMC. And I've known Tom. Tom's in the history area. I'm in the business area. I've known Tom for probably 15 years or so when we first moved up here, my wife and I. So, um, yeah, so I'm involved in a new project right now. 
uh, called the Humanitas Project. And um, the name's a little intimidating unless you like words because it has a Latin word in it, which is Humanitas. And so Humanitas means the process of educating people into all that they're meant to be, where that which is real is that which is ideal. And so it's a big word. It's a big phrase that you almost need to pull over in life in your car, pull over to the side of the road. It's almost like you almost need to pull over and take a few minutes and just think about what that means and, and all the implications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it definitely seems pretty deep. I mean, you, for some reason, a lot of it seems to rhyme. What is real is ideal. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that's a lot in, in and of itself to chew on because I don't know. I'm just my mind goes to the fact that sometimes what is real is really difficult. Yeah. And so does that, is that always ideal? Well, or how does that fit? It, it, it raises a great question. And that's what I, what we want to come out of this project is dialogue around, um, around all of it, but especially um, who or what is the ideal, right? Where that, which is real is that, which is ideal. It's the idea that there is an ideal or who is the ideal. And people can debate about that. And that's great. I may say to you that um, automobile, and you might say, Lexus or Tesla. You might say Tesla. That's the ideal automobile, right? There's that rhyme again. Um, And so it invites discussion and dialogue and pressing into questions around what does it really mean to educate man into all that he's meant to be? And when you bring that lens of where that which is real is that which is ideal on top of it, it's, it invites the discussion that there actually is an ideal and there actually is something that we could debate and dialogue about. Um, in terms of what I would say, what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why don't you attach? So we'd had a discussion for a few minutes and I was like, we got to just start recording. Cause you were, you were giving so much in the, in the pre-recording conversation, but also add, add the faith aspect into it because I have some questions about that as someone that has started a, a project like my show where I was pretty intentional at the beginning of not framing it and really even involving my faith in it in any way. And I I'll be honest in telling people that some of that is because I was afraid of what that, what that would mean if I brought that into it. Right. Seems like a big responsibility. Uh, but also (laughs) I didn't want to like feel like I was blocking anybody off from the conversation uh, by bringing, bringing that in. And just as time went on, it became more and more clear to me, like Taylor, if this is an important part of your life, you have to add that lens over right. this stuff and you just have to hope and pray that, that people will still see, even if they disagree with you on their beliefs or whatever it is, right. uh, that they can still benefit from these conversations and that it's okay to apply that lens to it. So what, what about your project that involves some of that? Yeah. So the, the word faith is an interesting word because it really means trust. Mm-hmm. And so all of us are trusting in something or someone, right? So the idea for us is the ideal for us is the person of Jesus. So it's the idea that the gospel really is more than a forgiveness of sins offering. It includes that. Mm -hmm. It's not that that's um, inaccurate. It's really a question that it's incomplete. And so I grew up, my college days, uh, and anytime I heard about Jesus, it was in the context of forgiveness of sins. And I was 20 years old. I was like, it sounds like an insurance contract to mm-hmm. me. I'm not really that interested. Um, later on, as I got to understand more about him, it became very relevant. And that I would almost say that the gospel really is that God has provided for all mankind to become human once again. 
Mm. And that's a very different gospel than what I was rejecting. And so if we bring in Jesus then as the ideal of what it means to be human, it's an invitation for every person to simply become who they were created to be. Um, the interesting thing about it is it involves an objective that God has a construct for me. He actually is the, the designer, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's designed it around an ideal. And so for me to live into that, it's at some, it's in, in every way going to involve the person of Jesus. There's a lot of paradox in here. How can it be that one person has application to every single person who ever has and will be born? Mm. You know, I can't figure that out. There's yeah. no way I can figure that out, but I know it's true. It's like a, it's an operating system. So you can see me garbed today with just P23 life and what's all this about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the Psalm 23. Okay. So P23 stands for Psalm 23. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea that the 23rd Psalm is an operating system for life. It's not something that we read at a funeral. It's really more appropriate as something to be read at the birth of a child mm. or the conception of a child, right? Mm. Yeah. The Lord, may the Lord be your shepherd. May you not want, may he lead you beside green pastures and quiet waters. May he restore your soul. Wait a minute. Does my soul need restoration? Yes, mm -hmm. it does, right? A friend of mine says it this way. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you, but you do have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He says that. And it's true. There's nothing wrong with you, but you do have a problem. Hmm. And I think of in the Bible, there's a man born blind. Yeah. And society comes around and says, Hey, who sinned? This guy? Yeah. Or his parents? Yep. He's born blind. Obviously, something is wrong. And Jesus says, There's nothing wrong with him. Everything's absolutely right with him. But this is so that the work of God may be revealed in his life. Now, there's an example of a person. There's nothing wrong with you, but you do have a problem. Right, right. Because he needs God. All of us are in need of God. Mm -hmm. So Humanitas Project is inviting everyone around the table when the questions that are being asked are, what does it mean to be human? In no way is it intended to be um, exclusive or excluding anybody. It's an invitation to a dialogue around that. At the same time, we do have a horse, you know, in the race here. And we want to be able to offer Jesus at that table. Mm -hmm. And that invites lots of dialogue and has all kinds of things that we can talk about if you, you know, if you want to, but it's just going to, it's going to take us pretty deep yeah. into how can it be that one man? Well, first of all, is it true? Mm -hmm. Is it true that he came to restore what it means to be human or did he come to be the provision for our sins? Actually both. But societally, we don't hear a lot about Jesus coming to restore what it means to be human. Yeah. Does that make sense? So it, it what you're saying is it's not a religion construct. Mm -hmm. It's a human construct. And that shift is really big mm -hmm. and really important because the implications are huge. Right. Yeah. So I might be a person who says, I am not interested in religion. Had bad religion experience or experience with religion. I did not grow up with religion. I was a person like that, not interested in religion. Um, but are you interested in becoming fully human? Right. And does Jesus have any relevance when that's the question that's being asked mm -hmm. at the table? And that's the kind of, that's what we want to press into. We want to say, yes, we want to begin to offer that and um, kind of just see where it goes. So it's a startup. I mean, this really is a, a startup endeavor in the space of education. You know, and I really believe that there are just tons and tons and tons of teachers who know the system's broken, 
Um, they want the, the reason their motivation for going into education was let's say X as they got into education, they experienced Y and a lot of Y and they ended up a lot of first time students leave or first time um, teachers will quit and leave the profession in the first five years. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Right. Their motive is X. They experience Y and they just go, this is not what my heart my heart did not draw me into why mm -hmm. my heart drew me into X. It's not happening. And it's not happening. I'm in Y I'm stuck with Y. Um, and so they end up leaving. The cool thing is on a post in a post COVID world, uh, the best way I've heard this described, and I just love this construct because there's a, a group in California, they talk it as BC and AD. We live in a BC AD mm -hmm. world. And what do you mean by that? They mean before COVID yeah. and then after disease. Mm -hmm. And they're in the space of higher education, looking at that whole construct of, is it a BC, AD? And what does higher, educa higher education in an after disease environment look like? Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like it's all these things are converging, right? And I feel like we live in a world right now where the questions that are asked and going to be asked surround questions of what does it really mean to be human? Mm -hmm. Why am I here? There's a guy named Dan Pink who has done a lot of research on what motivates people, intrinsic motivations is what he calls them. Um, and he's talks about, and if you think about it, it's true. What motivates people is purpose, meaning or purpose, mastery and autonomy. Okay. Purpose, mastery and autonomy. If you think about it, like if I go back to going to college, why did I go to college? What was I really seeking? I was seeking purpose. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it. Right but I was seeking purpose. And then mastery is what am I good at? Am I good at doing podcasts and this kind of work? Is that something I'm drawn to? And then autonomy is freedom. And we were created to live in freedom. This nation was founded because of freedom, driven by freedom, right? Mm -hmm. Those are human longings, purpose, mastery, and autonomy. And so I believe that most people who are in college are looking for purpose they're settling for a degree. Okay. And that's a weird way to think about it, but I'm really interested in purpose. Why am I here? What's my purpose? And that, that sounds selfish, but it's not mm -hmm. because mastery then says, what am I good at? And autonomy means who am I free to serve? It's not about people serving me. It's who is, I describe it as unity and diversity in the service of love. What is the community that I am called to serve? Mm -hmm. And for me personally, that's education. Yeah. All of education, but with an intro into higher education, mm -hmm. because we really want to provide college level learning for becoming fully human. Mm -hmm. So purpose, that's where like people are, are getting off on the wrong foot right away. If we're, are you talking about when we, you know, graduate high school, which maybe wasn't um, serving us in the best way that that could either. Right. But as we, as we go to college, we're supposed to be finding this purpose yet we're getting that degree instead and maybe haven't carved out what our purpose is. Right. So then we're not able to achieve the level of mastery and autonomy that maybe we were meant to have. Right. So give me an example from the human body. Let's say I'm at college and I'm saying, I'm not really sure why I'm here, but this place, I mean, college is implicated. Education is implicated to help people discover purpose, mastery, and autonomy. Let's say it that way, because mm -hmm. I do believe education is implicated. Um, so I'm at college and I discover that I am a bicep. 
what should I major in? Curls. Okay. Right. Because when I major in curls, who I am, I discover, I don't determine that I want to be a bicep. I discover that I'm a bicep. Okay. I now major in curls because that's an expression of who I am. That will then lead me into a place or a community of service that's based on my bicep. Mm-hmm. It's going to fall apart a little bit. The analogy is not perfect, but you, you discover who it is that you are. You major in something that's an expression of that. And then as a result of that, you know the community that you're meant to go into and be part of and serve. Mm. That was how I got into education. I had to go through a long process of discovering I'm a teacher. I'm an educator. That's who I serve. That's where I belong. Mm -hmm. Um, It just so happens that I have a background in business and a degree that I got before I really understood my own purpose. But I got a skill set that I can now be an effective teacher with that skill set. But really who I am at a bigger picture is more of the teacher educator, Mm -hmm. even though I happen to be teaching accounting at a community college, right? I can do that. But it's a higher, different, not higher. It's a different calling. Yeah. Say it that way. Yeah. Um, but my own life is an expression of this because I didn't know any of this yeah. going to college, you know. And I thought, well, you just go to school, you work hard, you get a good degree. I mean, let's get a degree in accounting. Why not? You, you know, you can get a job, you can get a good job, support a family, blah 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 blah. Right. Um, and I had no idea that there was a different way to go about it, and it requires. You talked about faith. Mm-hmm. If you're going to live this way. It's absolutely going to require faith because it's trust Mm -hmm. and you don't have all the answers and you're taking steps into something that's unknown. But as we do that, and when we do that with God, doors start to open, Mm -hmm. things start to happen and you start to go. It's kind of this mysterious thing. It's like, I'm not in this alone. Right. And actually that's what the word peace means. So let's think about this way. If you look at the book of Luke, it talks about Jesus being born. And I call them original source declarations. There are words that are spoken over the birth of Jesus. And hear these words. Good news, great joy for all the people. Mm -hmm. Just think about those three words, those three phrases. Jesus, good news, great joy. Is God a kill joy? Good news, great joy for all the people. Does that sound like something that fits in a box called religion? Hmm. Keep going. Does that sound like something that could fit in a box called becoming fully human? Right. Are you interested in good news and great joy? That's for all the people, Mm -hmm. all the people. That's what God's up to. Yeah. Then you keep reading. It says glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to man people on whom his favor rests. So whatever this thing, good news, great joy for all the people, mm-hmm. it involves glory to God in the highest, which God's glory means two things. He reveals himself. First part. Second part, we rejoice in that revelation. So think about a sunset. You drive down the road and you could just go look at that sunset and keep on driving. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't happen like that. No, what if you pull over, right? Yeah. Well, when God reveals himself, he's like, this is a sunset. God has revealed himself. It's not until we pull over and rejoice in it and go, that's amazing. Look Mm -hmm. at that. Then his gloriometer has Mm -hmm. gone to 10. 
So whatever God's up to, it involves him revealing himself and us rejoicing in that revelation. God's glory. The second part is peace to man on whom his favor rests. Now, if I were to ask the, if I were to ask the audience, use your hand and show me a peace sign. They're going to pull up their hand and they're going to take their first two fingers and split them apart. Mm-hmm. Peace in the Bible is a word, irene, and it means, it means two things have become one. Mm. It's the symbol for us saying good luck. So if I were to wish you good luck and I hold up my hands where my fingers are crossed like that, you think I'm wishing you good luck. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is not. He's there. He's offering peace. Because mm-hmm. peace is me and him, you and him, anyone and him. It's us in a relationship of union with him. Mm-hmm. That's what peace means. And so trust is walking in that relationship of union. And so at a marriage, what do you hear the, the minister say? Let not man separate what God has united. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Man has separated through our fingers being crossed or extended. And your listeners can't see this, but they can imagine me holding up a hand with a, yeah, a peace sign, sign, right? It looks like that. That's the separation of what God has united. This is what biblical peace looks like. Mm-hmm. It's union. And this is the mystery of how Jesus lives on earth as a human being. Mm-hmm. Not with a religion construct, but with a being fully human construct, he lives out of that relationship of union. And it's why the kingdom of God is often equated with a marriage ceremony. Yeah. It's all about union. It's Mm -hmm. about when the two become one. And so that mystery of peace, but interesting, all the way back, original source um, declarations, good news, great joy for all the people. It involves glory to God in the highest and peace right? Mm-hmm. So it's not a feeling and peace to man on whom his favor rests, which means an union to man on whom his favor rests. Imagine education teaching that and then helping people to discover what their life in relationship of union with God looks like. Mm-hmm. That's my dream right yeah. there. Yeah. And, and I'm seeing how that ideal can be um, inspiring to even people that don't have the, have the, the faith background that we do right? and how it can relate in so many different areas. Because as I was seeing, uh, some of the videos that you'd sent me where you were outlining what this project is, is I was like, man, you hear so much about, uh, higher education universities being, uh, like these, these liberal think tanks and, and just churning out liberal thinking. Yeah. And so I'd be curious, a, do you think that that's true at the level some might lead you to believe? Um, and then also, I think you already kind of answered it, but how, even if that is true for some of those institutions, they could still be open to some of the things that you're sharing. Oh, sure. I mean, I think anybody who's open to truth and is really seeking truth has to come at it from a posture of openness. I mean, I'm open to, I mean, even there's a wonderful philosopher by the name of Dallas Willard. Mm-hmm. If any of your listeners or listeners are, are, are connected with him or he would say, if there's a better way, Jesus would be the first one to tell you to take it. Mm-hmm. There's a better way than what he's advocating. I do think that, um, you know, especially the four-year institutions, it's, it's not so much fault of their own. These are research institutions. Mm-hmm. And you have a clash going on. Unless you're going there to become a researcher, at a fundamental level, there's a clash. There's almost an identity crisis going on. I, as a student, am attending X university. Um, probably in 
let's say I'm in seeking a degree for a job. Let's just say that's my scenario. But the teachers are there to do research. Okay. They're not there to teach. I'll probably get a teaching assistant, right? And I might find myself in a really large lecture hall. Now that's, you know, some of the, the bad sides of it, but I could be at a small private um, college and it may not be that way. It may not be set up with that large lecture hall, more intimate connection. Yeah. Absolutely. Some really great schools, colleges where that occurs. Um, but you still have to deal with this question of where does Jesus fit into that equation? And should he even fit into that equation? If somebody wants to say, no, Jesus shouldn't even be part of the equation or what we offer, I would sit back and say, well, why? If he came to restore what it means to be human, then why, doesn't, why isn't this in every college university? Mm -hmm. Could a large college and university offer something like this? Absolutely. They just have to make a decision to say, we're going to bring Jesus back to the table. Because what we have right now in public education is he's been pushed away mm -hmm. from the table. And we have this secular, non-secular divide, yeah. right? Oh, that's a Christian school. This is a non-Christian school. Um, but like Dallas Willard would ask us, is reality secular? And there's a whole book called Is Reality Secular by Mary Poplin, which is dealing with question of worldviews. Mm -hmm. Like, what a great class, worldviews, comparative worldviews. Mm -hmm. Do you, first of all, do you even know that you have a worldview? Because every single person has a worldview, whether they realize it or not. So just running into that wall mm -hmm. is going to be a great, wow. I discovered I was a secular humanist and I didn't even know it. But when I read, when I read and got exposed to worldviews, I'm like, oh, here's worldview A, B, C. I'm like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a secular, like I had a disease or something. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. I'm a secular humanist, but I didn't even know it. Same thing for spiritual formation. Everybody is experiencing spiritual formation. There's no such thing as a person who's not experiencing spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. now, I went to Wheaton grad school and got a degree in spiritual formation. Okay. It was awesome. Every single person is being exposed to spiritual formation, whether they realize it or not. Mm -hmm. Well, as you as a person, let's say you're 19 years old, would you like to know that? I think so. Would you like to know what your worldview is? Mm -hmm. Would you like to know that there's other worldviews? Yeah. It's would important to know what what you're being impacted by. And I think so many times we float through life forming ways of thinking and never actually attributing it to like the, the events or the things that are actually helping to shape us. Right. Cause I, yeah, I, there's so much of maybe in my mid twenties, I started to realize and give myself a little credit and be like, you are a complex person with complex processes. How did that happen? And I really, couldn't put my finger on it. I had, you have to think deeply about that. There were so many events and, and things that have led me to have the, the thinking and the opinions that I have now. To me personally, I find it much more fun to be able to, to attribute it to things because in the present now here as a 31 year old, I am able to kind of slow down. And as I go through my day, I can look at the things that are happening to me and ask myself how that might impact me in the future in sure. the way that I that I go about life and the things that I think about how I treat people, all these experiences that I've had. And I think just, just giving those things credit and stewing on those a little bit more is really important. Otherwise it almost seems like a mindless process, but I don't know that it actually is. Yeah. So it's almost like our life is a summation of experiences mm -hmm. and some of those experiences are good. And some of those experiences are bad. 
but whether we like it or not, we are shaped and formed by experiences. Yeah. And so the opportunity to choose a different formation or choose a different worldview is huge. Mm -hmm. And I have a high view. I have a high view of people. I have a high view of education and I have a high view of work. Because a lot of times people think, like I thought, how is Jesus connected to my work? How is this relevant for 24-7 every day of my life? How is this relevant? And the answer is it's relevant because you're created, we were created to walk with God. That's the 23rd Psalm. That the 23rd Psalm is a life operating system. For doing life on earth together with God, absolutely work-oriented. And I could not make that connection between this faith thing or this Jesus thing. And what about a job or what about work? So I have a high view of work. <clears throat> the scriptures have a high view of work. If you look at the book of Ephesians. We were created and, to work. Yeah, we were created, right? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared in advance that we would walk in them. Well, that's Ephesians 2.10. But read Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Because that's the context for verse 10, right? It says, by the, you are, you are by, like, like the rest, you were by nature objects of wrath, blah, 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 blah. And you get down to the end, you're God's workmanship. God's, which actually means you're God's poem. Hmm. That's the word, poema. You are God's poem. Words. Yeah. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared in advance that you would walk in them. How intentional is your arrival? on planet earth 31 years ago. Help me work through that from God's perspective. Yeah. Very super intentional. He chose the date. He chose the time. He chose the place. He has a purpose for you before you ever show up in your flesh suit. Mm -hmm. Right. And do, but do we know that? Yeah. Right. And so all of that comes at the end is why Ephesians one nine is in there. It leads with this culmination of, we're God's workmanship. And this isn't just Christians, it's people, right? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared in advance that we would walk in them. Can you imagine a system of education that has that as its hub mm-hmm. and takes every single person who is part of it and says, what does your Ephesians 2.10 look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a high view of education right there. Mm-hmm. And to bring Jesus into that table is not to bring religion into the table. Mm-hmm. It's to bring into, it's to bring to that table, the larger question of what it means to be fully human. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how much of my life I've spent thinking, even though I, you know, I grew up as a Christian, I was raised in a Christian home, but thinking things were an accident. And I just, I think there is a a different level of capability and flourishing that can happen when you think about the intentionality behind all that you are and all that you're doing, as yeah. opposed to it's just an accident. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, as I grow in my faith and I maybe get questions from people of like, how are you able to to continue to grow in your faith or why are you even a Christian? And to me, I'm at this exciting stage in my faith where, you know, I, identified as a Christian for nearly my entire life. But just the last couple of years, I've actually started like diving into the word and finding fellowship with other believers and valuing fellowship and community. And so now I'm at this exciting 
heart of like, it is almost like researching. It's like connecting the dots of scripture and how that relates to my life. And, and it's just fun. It's, it's, it's finally like fun. It's not a drag anymore. Right. And so I'm at that point, but for me, some of the most basic things that have led me to, to continue to believe in God is when I have traveled and, and seen the mountains or mm. just stood next to my wife and just been like, man, what an amazing person that is. <laughs> this can't be an accident. And so those are those simple things that anybody can do um, always serve, I think, as the reminder that like, even if if I'm getting frustrated with with studying scripture or I'm frustrated with fellow believers, which has happened a lot the last couple of years, um, I can always just kind of go back to that and be like, I don't want to live in a world where this is an accident. I would rather find the intentionality and, and live in that understanding. And so. I think that's, that's what makes a lot of this really, really fascinating is I think it's somebody that or something that anybody can relate to and should want. Yeah. Yeah. And realize though, that it's all in a context. Why is it not easy? Well, does the Bible have anything to say about it? You know, can we be informed? Our, our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the principles, powers of this world. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to realize that this is not easy because we live in a world at war on this side of eternity. We live in a world at war. But Jesus has overcome all that. He said the prince of this world now is now condemned. The kingdom of God is here. This whole new operating system. I like to think of it as a life operating system. It's here. And think of it as a contrast. If I had two phones in front of me, I have an Android and I have an Apple product. Mm -hmm. Two phones, two different operating systems. Jesus came to offer a new operating system. But it's an operating system, not for a phone. <laughs> it's an operating system for what it means to be fully human. Mm -hmm. And that is attractive. Is it automatic? No. Is it stress-free? No. Is it simple? No. Is there a lot of opposition to that? Yes. Why? Because on this side of eternity, we live in a world at war, mm -hmm. but we operate from the place of victory. Yeah. Because he's already, the battle's been won. And if we have that kind of a mindset, the battle's won. I'm just walking out what victory looks like in my own life and in the lives of other people that I come in contact with but I'm doing it from a perspective of victory. Yeah. So faith isn't a weakness. It's a confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's confidence in another, not mm -hmm. myself. Yeah. It's like, it's like, Steve, you can play basketball with LeBron James living on the inside of you or by yourself. Which do you choose? <laughs> yeah. It's a no brainer. It's a no brainer, right? Yeah. And so that, if we have that perspective in life, that is, that's what peace means. Mm -hmm. It's with God living on the inside. How do you explain this, Steve? I can't. It's a mystery. And the Bible calls it the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mm -hmm. It's the, um, it's Christmas time. You go to the Christmas tree, you open up a present. And the first thing you read is batteries not included. Disappointing. It can't Mom forgot to buy the AA batteries. <laughs> you, it can't function the way it's designed to function unless the batteries are put on the inside. Mm. We can't function in our full humanness unless the batteries are put on the inside. Yeah. yeah. Again, back to peace and what peace means. Would you be able to define <clears throat> uh, the term sanctification keeps coming to mind too. I don't oh. know the actual definition of sanctification. Yeah. Do you know it off the top of your head by you, chance? This is so amazing. So I <laughs> sat in a, I was part of a message yesterday, part, I sat in on a message yesterday where the person who was teaching was talking about sanctification. And 
that was being talked about. It was a woman on Mother's Day gave a great message. Um, but sanctification is surrender. There are a lot of people who have prayed a prayer. They've asked Jesus into their heart. They've said, I'm coming to you as a sinner. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. And it's kind of like from that perspective, they walk into this thing called, let's say, Christianity, which is, is a religion. Sanctification is saying there's more than that. Mm-hmm. So let's contrast Martha and Mary. When the Bible talks about Martha, it says Martha received Jesus into her home. But then when it talks about Mary, it says Mary also sat at his feet and heard his word. Mm. So let's say Mary represents sanctification. Okay. Martha represents what we societally call salvation. Sanctification is surrender. Sanctification is when you say, God, I give my life to you. I surrender. You're in charge. I'm not in charge. I'm going to sit at your feet. Sanctification is a beautiful way to live Mm -hmm. because you sit at his feet and you hear his words. So Mary's busy, busy, busy making lasagna. She thinks Jesus wants lasagna. I'm making this up, right? (laughs) That's that's Martha. Sorry. (laughs) Martha is busy, busy, busy making lasagna because she thinks Jesus likes lasagna. Okay. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus says, Mary, you get me a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. She gets up, cup of coffee. Martha's all upset because she thinks, can you get Mary to help me make lasagna? Mm-hmm. But Mary, Mary represents sanctification. It represents the beautiful lifestyle of being fully human because you're sitting at Jesus's feet and you're hearing his word. And so when you read the scriptures and a word starts to jump out at you, mm-hmm. the Bible talks about the scriptures as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I love to walk with people that way. Mm-hmm. So you were reading John, what jumped out at you? Mm-hmm. And they'll say this word or that or this or that. And then you connect that to a larger scope of scripture. And God shows up in that environment and life happens. And when that happens to us individually, we then, oh, geez, a cup of coffee, cup of coffee, cup of coffee. I think I'll get up and get a cup of coffee. You're then responding in trust, faith, to what you believe God is leading you to do through his word. Now, I don't know if we're going to get into a tangent, but word is a really important concept from an eternity perspective. There is a professor, I don't know if he's still alive, down at Asbury Theological Seminary, uh, Robert Mulholland. He wrote a book called Shaped by the Word. And he basically says that every one of us is a word from God. Think about that. Every person is a word from God. So in the beginning, God said, let there be light. In the beginning, God said, let there be um, land, sea. In the beginning, God said. So in the beginning, we have creation by proclamation. In the beginning, God said, God spoke a word, things happened. Mm-hmm. Well, what he's like E.F. Hutton, right? So what if that's true for every one of us? What if God said, let there be Taylor? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Taylor shows up. Now, why does this even matter? Because we're a word from God. If you read the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it literally translates like this. In the beginning, names of people, and they were called, in the wilderness, words. Hmm. The, word, the Deuteron- Deuteronomy is about words. And so every person is a word from God. You're in a relationship with, like Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing his word. 
you're then taking action based on that word. Mm-hmm. And what happens when all that's going on? Energy is becoming matter. You're birthing words, mm-hmm. but they're words spoken to you from God as you sit in his word. Mm-hmm. Oh man, if that's not the coolest thing on earth, I don't know <laughs> what is. When that happens and you understand what's happening and you can put a label on that and you walk with a group of people who are trying to flesh that out in their lives. Mm-hmm. Get, Dallas Willard says the aim of God throughout all of history is the formation of an all-inclusive community of loving people for whom God is their chief sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. That's what the church is supposed to be. Loving, creative, intelligent, loyal, faithful, powerful people, a growing community that have those labels attached to them. That's big time. It is big time. It's fully human. Yeah. Fully human, fully alive for God's glory because he reveals himself and we rejoice in that revel. You rejoiced in your wife. Mm-hmm. You looked at your wife. How many times have you looked at your wife? Was that? What's your wife's name? Abby. Abby. So you looked at Abby and you just kind of went, eh. I know that's true for you. It's true for me, right? But then there's times when you looked at Abby and you're like, wow. Hard to believe. When you have the wow factor, that's when the glory is complete. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's always been a revelation, but you didn't rejoice in that revelation. Mm -hmm. And it's not until you rejoice in that revelation. To me, understanding what God's glory is about has been so helpful. If you read the Bible and you see glory, 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 and you start to interpret it through God's revealing himself, and we're to rejoice in that revelation. Yeah. And it's those two, it's like two legs for a person to walk. Mm-hmm. It's two-legged glory. Let me say it that way. It's two-legged glory, not single-legged glory. Mm-hmm. Why? Because God is a lover. He could say, I'm going to reveal myself, and I don't care whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. But what he does is he goes, I'm so pro-human, I'm going to reveal myself, and I want you to rejoice in my revelation. Yeah. And when you do, my glory Think of it this way. God has chosen to make his glory contingent upon our response to his revelation. Repeat that. God has chosen. God has chosen to subject his glory to to, to our response of his revelation. Okay. No human being would ever do that. Mm hmm. Only God would do that Mm -hmm. because he wants relationship. Yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, the rejoicing and revelations. Mm -hmm. And and there's a lot of times where I might have a revelation by myself when I'm working from home and Abby's gone all day. And as I have this revelation and it's just eliciting emotions and responses that I just cannot wait to share. And it's so funny because you want to, you want to like share it with somebody because then it magnifies their response. And sometimes you go to share it and it sounds crazy to Mm -hmm. somebody, but it's fun to try to do that. I mean, there's times where she'll come home and I'll just share something that I just cannot believe and might take her a second to kind of get up to speed with what I just have experienced. But I think that that's what, that's what's important to keep in mind is as you talk about community, we're all supposed to be doing that together and we're stronger when we do that together and you can have these revelations but aren't they magnified and amplified when we 
have them with other people yeah. or we involve other people in that process. Yeah. It just makes it yep. overflow bubble. Yep. Yeah. So if that's true about God and you are made in God's image, would it also be true for you? Yes. Mm-hmm. You have a revelation. You share it with Abby and she goes, yeah, Taylor, whatever. It's not that great. You're disappointed. Yeah. Why? Cause she didn't rejoice mm-hmm. in your revelation. Yeah. Right. It's just like the studio. I can tell you put work into the studio. Mm-hmm. Supposing I walked in and went, oh, this really doesn't look that good, Taylor. <laughs> you're, you're, something inside of you sinks, right? Yeah. Why? Because you're made in the image of God. And so you're made for, we're made for double glory, mm-hmm. right? I remember a time when I remodeled a bathroom and then every time I had a friend over, I'm like, let me show you my bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Let me show you my bathroom. Why was I doing that? Whether I realized it or not, it's because I'm made in the image of God. And then if they looked at it and said, and eh, doesn't look that good, Steve, there's part of me would sink. Yeah. When they look at it, they go, this is great. This is great. You know, it sounds egotistical, but it's really mm-hmm. not. It's because we're made in the image of God and that's what his glory is all about. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we experience it all the time, but we don't know how to pause and label it yeah. and go, this is a God thing that I'm experiencing right mm-hmm. now. And we don't realize it, but yet all of us experience it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the reason I had asked for your take on sanctification mm-hmm. is because I had just heard, uh, Dr. Derwin Gray, I think is his name. He's a pastor in North Carolina somewhere. Um, He had given a a definition of sanctification. I think it was sanctification is the removal of all things that make us less human. And Mm. I just thought that was really interesting because sometimes I think as, I think as Christians, but also maybe as non-Christians that are viewing Christians, Mm -hmm. we think, okay, so this whole process is, is about becoming holier. And when you become holy, you become less human right. somehow. And that seems really uh, woo-woo also, but yep. also intimidating. Yeah. And so to me, it's comforting. I'm created in the image of God. I'm supposed to become more human. Yep. And just, yeah, I guess reveling in that process. It's just really, it is really interesting. And right. I can also tell after having this conversation that I'm going to be much more intentional about, you know, rejoicing in the things that are, that are happening. Yeah. And just, you're gonna- appreciating them because they're going to, they're helping to shape me each and every minute of every day. What if the, what if the bumper sticker for holiness was be holy, be human? Yeah. I think I'd be on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. You're telling me that holiness is about maximizing humanness. Yes. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Right. I thought it was becoming like some saint and going out living in the desert, being a desert father kind of thing. Yep. To, to pursue holiness is to kind of give up on humanness mm-hmm. when it's actually the opposite. Be holy, be human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I just found that, found that comforting because it also, to me, frames it in a way that's a little bit more attainable too. You know, I can, oh, human, I can, I think I can be more human. And then to know, to understand that being human is a good thing. Yeah. It's just really comforting. Yeah. And you make Jesus your model. Yeah. So just spend time studying him in the, in the gospels. Um, he says, come to me, hear my word, put it into practice. Imagine an extended period of time where you just come to him, hear his words, Mm -hmm. and then you tack on in the end, putting those words into practice Mm -hmm. and you begin to develop a rhythm of coming to him, hearing his words, putting them into practice. What would that make me? And I would say it would make you fully human. Yeah. Will that be practical? Will that lead me into a vocation? The word calling and vocation is really important to me. So vocation comes from the word voca, which means voice. 
which means God speaking. Hmm. And so it's hearing his voice, learning how to hear his voice, and then responding to that. And for anybody who's interested in a great read on that, take a look at Parker Palmer. There's a little tiny gift book called Let Your Life Speak, which would be a wonderful read about how vocation and calling, how does this get practical in terms of it being fleshed out in our lives? And the world of work is really the primary place of our discipleship Mm. and our walk with God is going to be the world of work. Mm. But it's one thing to show up in that world, knowing that I'm in a relationship of peace and union with God, as opposed to I'm on my own. And does the guy who is the pastor then more spiritual than I am because I go teach at the college? Right. No. Yeah. You know, is the person in business on wall street, are they less spiritual than the pastor or me or anybody else and a nurse? No. It's a common essence, but unique expressions. Mm -hmm. And only God can handle that tension. Yeah. So there's a sense of unity because we have a common essence about being human. But then there's a sense of diversity. So unique, um, common essence, unique expression. What does Christ, I say to my kids, I can't wait to see what God looks like through you. Mm -hmm. I started that on their tapes early on. Get that into their mind. I can't wait to see what God looks like through you. Because I want them to think about that Mm -hmm. and what it means, this whole God card. You know, what does it mean to connect to God? Mm -hmm. It's, I can't wait to see what God looks like through you. Yeah. But the other question I ask him is what color is your grace? Hmm. Instead of what color is your parachute? Mm-hmm. That book, it's like, what color is your grace? Yeah. Because I'm saying there's something deposited on the inside of you. And actually here, the word education, it comes from a Latin word, educo. It means to draw out, mm-hmm. to pour on and draw out. Okay. The idea is it's already on the inside of you. So we're going to pour on and draw out mm. something that's already contained in you. Sounds like a like a plant fruit. Yeah. For the spirit. Yeah. It's a yeah. fruit. It's a, so it's, it's, um, it's an agricultural construct. Mm. It's kind of, it's a different construct, a way of thinking about things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would think as an accountant mm. that you wouldn't care so much about words and more numbers, <laughs> but I love that you break down, you break down the words and that's also another fascinating thing that, um, that I've kind of slowly discovered through scripture is when, when, maybe based on whatever Bible study you're doing, people can kind of throw out the Greek word that was, that was used yeah. and how a lot of times the Greek word, it just more fully encompasses like what was actually being felt in the moment. Sure. Like maybe a little better than our English versions do. Yeah. And so there were, there are moments where I've stumbled across those Greek words and I wouldn't be able to name any of them right now, but I was just like, gosh, I wish we had a word for that. Right. You know, or I wish I knew Greek because they, <laughs> they have so many of these, these deeper meanings. There was an example of, there was a time Jesus felt something and we, we were thinking of it as like, you know, he felt a stirring or something. And it went on to say that the Greek, the Greek word was, he literally felt it in his bowels, like in his organs. It yeah. was such a deep feeling that mm-hmm. it was throughout like his entire, to the depths of his body. Yep. It was like stirring didn't do it for me. But right. once I heard that Greek word, it did it for me. So I like that you break down the meanings and the roots of these words is really important. It gives it more depth to it, I think. Yeah, is that know, always something you've been interested in there? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I did life backwards. Um, I think a, a great way to, to build life is think of an eye and you've got a bottom profile on the bottom. And then that's like a foundation. And then mm-hmm. you stick your, your, your vertical on top of that. I, I did... 
I did my life backwards. I put a vertical in. Okay. And then in grad school, I put the bottom foundation mm-hmm. where a lot of people put on foundation and then put on top of it. I realized I've lived my life backwards. So words are fascinating to me. I love words. When I first became a Christian, I have a whole stack of paper and I would mm-hmm. see a word in the Bible and I'd look it up in the dictionary and then I would write the definitions down. Okay. And I'm like, I don't know if I really know what that word means. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, it's so, it's so interesting. And then to realize like in the beginning names of people, they were called in the wilderness words mm-hmm. and we, you are a word from God. People are words from God. There's something about words that I can't explain, Yeah, but there's a mystery of just around the, the idea of words that I can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. And it's like in, inside of me that I, I, I look them up. I want to know what they mean. I'm like you. I'm like, oh, that's not how I should interpret what's being said there. There's yeah. a whole different, um, there's a whole different depth and angle on it that I'm just not getting unless I get into some original source and look yeah. some things up. But yeah, it makes me really want to value, value words more because words are so easy to spew out and they can do so much damage. Yeah. They can do so much good. It's just a big responsibility. Right. And as someone that has a podcast, which is literally saying words <laughs> um, with no visual attached to it, it's, it's interesting. It's something that I've actually personally wrestled with a little bit more. I think, you know, you talk about that. What was it? BC and AD is that through COVID, I think it's almost magnified uh, my understanding of the responsibility that I have. And that I think I took it really serious at the beginning. And then I wonder if, as I've gone through this process of having a podcast, if there, there were moments, and I think there was where I wasn't taking it as serious, but I was continuing to churn out content. Now I'm kind of like churning out less content, but I hope it's more intentional because I just want to, I want to value the words that I'm saying and that the people that I have on are saying, sure. It's, it's an interesting internal grappling, I guess, that I've had to do recently. Yeah. So it's like podcast for what purpose? Yeah. Podcast to what end? Mm-hmm. And to wrestle through that and think that through and then be intentional about, okay, now that I've wrestled through that, I'm going to do X. Yeah. I'm going to do Y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because podcasting is a realm where anybody can do it. The barrier of entry is very low. And I think in some sense, I love that. I love that anybody can go on and share their wisdom that they have. Right. You can be a normal person and just go do this. You don't have to wait for a radio spot. But also it leaves a lot of room for kind of crap to be said too. And then by proxy, you're kind of in, in the group with those people sometimes it feels like. And so right. I don't know, I've trying to find ways to, to make sure that my content distances itself from that. And I suspect having people like you on is, well, is helpful. I asked you a question before we went on the air and the question was, so cold shower, right? Mm-hmm. What, what's behind, cause I have an idea, but I don't know if it's what you think of. What was your motive for cold shower? Why that name? What, what was your yeah. original thinking? Yeah. So it was, um, let's see, 2015 is when I first started a Facebook page and you know, that's that 2015, 2016 brought you know, mm. politically and really just, I think that's when it started to division really started to embed itself in our lives just at a level that I either had never paid attention to or had never been privy to experiencing. Right. And so I was like, I can either 
start to hate my neighbors for the things that they're thinking or the opinions that they're sharing, right. or I can try to contribute some, some content that's going to benefit people. Right. And again, this is the, the genesis of the project. It's changed a little bit since then, but I came on and started to try to get people to do like guest blogs on my Facebook page to just share about their experiences. So like I started out, I had a friend who at the time was 26 and he had a kid and was divorced, like all within a year, year and a half. And uh-huh. I wanted to get his take on like what that was like. You know, here's a Christian guy um, that obviously believes in the sanctity of marriage and things just didn't go like he thought they would. Right. And so what lessons did he have that he could share? And so it was things like that. And I, I got really great responses because it wasn't content that was necessarily like skewed one way or the other. Like it was relatable from all sides of political spectrum. Right. And then I started to see things as time went on where I was like, cause my, my background is in social work. Okay. So up until last July, I was a social worker. I graduated with my social work degree. And the reason I got a social work degree is because I noticed and, and my family helped kind of steer me this direction. They didn't push me, but they, they were able to point out the things that I valued. So they, they saw, Hey Taylor, even from, from a very young age, you valued things like truth, justice, compassion, mm-hmm. kindness. Um, and, and I guess sacrifice too, and, and serving, serving others. It was always something that I wanted to do. So they're like, I think social work might be an option for you. I had no idea what that was. And so I was able to have that social work lens on it. Now, fortunately and unfortunately, when you value things like truth, justice, compassion, sometimes there are sides that need to be taken. Right. And I saw that as, as I was taking some of those sides, you know, particularly the last year, year and a half uh, regarding some of the racial tensions that have happened in the country, taking clear sides on that. Um, not only because I think that Jesus cared, God cares very deeply about the things that I was sharing, uh, but also that was kind of in my roots as someone that seeks justice. Right. And that caused divides. And so you would lose listenership from people that maybe thought that was too political. Right. Um, so essentially to bring it all together, it started as this, this avenue to provide quality content, challenging content that people either a couldn't have the conversations themselves or B, maybe they didn't even want to have the conversations themselves, but they might be willing to listen to me have those conversations. Right. So I, I always would have fun. Like I did an episode with my pastor probably over a year and a half, two years ago, we talked about pornography mm-hmm. and the harms that that can cause. And right in the intro, I said to the people, listen, I did the hard work. I had the awkward conversation. All you have to do is listen. <laughs> You don't, you know, I did it for you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is, this should be easy. And I know this is something you guys have to hear. Yep. So hopefully they listened to it. Yep. And oddly enough, I had a friend who was listening to it and he was driving a coworker one day. And so when he, the coworker got in his truck, this episode on pornography popped up and started to automatically play. So it was kind of funny because I was like, yeah, you're maybe the exception to where that got a little bit uncomfortable. Right. Like normally he would be able to listen in private and he was like, yeah, episode on pornography <laughs> popped up. And now my friend thinks I have a huge problem. <laughs> and, um, he's like, I was just trying to listen to it, man. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's, so that's really been, um, my calling is that, and I found that 
as a social worker, I value the things that, that I'd already mentioned. And then I started to see that there was a way to share those same values through this avenue of podcasting. Mm -hmm. And so when I was laid off in July, I was like, all right, I'm definitely going to continue my own show. uh, But also I want to serve others by helping them produce their own content because we had talked previously. Traverse city is this amazing place where there's so many people with so many different experiences doing amazing things or have done amazing things. And they don't always get to share with the world. Not everybody gets to share with the world, the cool stuff that they've done or the things that are on their heart that they right. value. It's like, can I help break down that barrier so that people, if they have a project that they're passionate about, I can help them produce a show or come on my show right? and give them a space to share about those things. So that's why um, strange as it may seem to go from social work uh, with an overlap of podcasting to now just podcasting, that's where it all kind of ties in. And the discomfort that can come with some of these conversations was something that I thought listeners could benefit from, which is a lot like a cold shower. So there's a a cold shower. um, It elicits an uncomfortable but beneficial response from our bodies. Right. And point is that these conversations can can, you know, follow that same path. Right. So right behind you, there's a sign Mm -hmm. that says discomfort leads to growth. Yeah. So cold shower. Yep. Can lead to growth. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a wake up call, right? And yes. Discomfort is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And the wake up call part of it is good too. I don't always um, think of it that way, but I think that I need to because I've experienced some pretty crazy things as a social worker, um, you know, from being in really dangerous situations to mm-hmm. also just being in, in moments where um, my physical capacities and abilities were not needed at all. I just had to get on my knees next to someone that was just at their wits end, experiencing something that most of us could not imagine. Mm. And that requires a different thing than it required to, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think, uh, to respond to when my life had been threatened in certain situations. Right. And so sometimes I would forget that the conversations and the experiences and the lens that I can provide is something that other people maybe have never thought of or heard. Right. So that's kind of also cool to remind myself of and why I appreciate you saying the wake up call thing is because what might be a normal conversation for me could be just the most gut wrenching, you know, wake up call to someone else that hasn't experienced it. Yeah. 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 So I think that's why social work and and this type of content fits really well together somehow. Well, when, when I heard the name of your podcast, that was the first thing I thought. I said, wow, what a cool name. I wonder what he means by cold shower. Because mm-hmm. uh, I know I've experienced cold shower. It's always yeah. a wake up, right? Yeah. Um, so I didn't, I didn't know. I was just curious to, to think of, like, why did you get started with what you're doing? And you know, I think you mentioned something about you didn't use this phraseology, but it was in the context of community that you got pointed in the direction of social work. Yeah. Yeah. Like your family spoke into your life and said, mm-hmm. you know, Taylor, you've always been this way. And most of us don't realize our uniquenesses. Yeah. Because it's the way we've always been. And we just kind of assume everybody's like that. And it takes a community of people to kind of say, who can look at you and not feel threatened by you. Mm-hmm. You know, especially let's say I want to be a social worker, but I look at you and I go, this person really, you know, you're not a threat to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when that kind of community um, is happening, 
That's what we were made for. Yeah. Because you can't, it, ha- it happens in the context of other people's eyes mm-hmm. when they, mm-hmm. and actually it's, it's in scripture, it's in Hebrews 11, it might be verse 24. And you got to read this in like the King James. You can't read it in the NIV. It says, let us discover one another to provoke unto love and good works. Now, if you read it in the NIV, it sounds like you're supposed to, you just got done reading the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, mm-hmm. yeah. because it says something about something to the extent of, let us discover how to, but it's let us discover one another. Okay. So we discover one another to provoke unto love and good works. We're back to that good works mm-hmm. idea. And then right after that, he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Mm-hmm. It's in the next verse. That's the context where we discover one another to provoke unto love and good works. Yeah. And that's a high bar for a Christian community, I think, to have. Mm-hmm. This is a place where we truly do discover one another to provoke unto love and good works. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty cool. That is. Because you, you want to be surrounded by people that can speak into your life and also be surrounded by people that you feel comfortable enough to speak into their life too. Like, you know, that they value your, you enough that yeah. they're going to trust what you say. Yeah. And yeah, being really close to the situation. So like you said, you're not always able to see the things you can offer as clearly as the people around you can. They have, they have the perspective, a different perspective. Right. And that's a very, um, you know, that's maybe antithesis of America instead of being the Marlboro man you know, mm-hmm. and the independent rugged individual person, yeah. it's saying, no, no, don't live that way. It's the communal person. Mm-hmm. It's the communal sense of self instead of the autonomy sense of self. Um, and that's a great verse. I mean, I love the way it's written in the original languages because it, it's a whole different angle. Mm-hmm. And if you read that in the NIV, you're just like, oh, how to win friends and influence people. But it's a totally different thing where you're looking at a person and speaking into their life and saying, my motive is for you to be all the person God made you to be. Yeah. And I'm not threatened by that. Mm-hmm. And then you're doing the same thing in other people's lives. It's yeah. that you might be all the person that God created you to be. It's the woman at the well. I mean, the woman at the well is so unique because she had never met a person who fully knew her and fully loved her. Mm-hmm. Never, ever had she experienced that combination. To be fully known was not to be loved. Yeah. She felt like she had to hide parts of her. Yep. To be loved. Just like us. Mm. Yep. To be loved, you can't be fully known. And she runs into this guy, Jesus. And for the first time in her life, she experiences, I'll just call that biblical, eternal community. She experiences fully known, fully loved. And did it make an impact in her life? Mm. She runs back to the town. She leaves her water, right? Mm -hmm. She runs back to town and says, come see a man who told me everything about myself told me everything about me. I've never met, you know, yeah. now you're not going to read that in the narrative. It doesn't say this is a woman who is fully known and fully loved. It doesn't, you're not going right. to see that, but you're going, you're going to, you can experience that. That's what she gets from Jesus and it changes her life. Hmm. And then they say to her later on, we no longer believe because of what you said. We believe because of what we have experienced in the presence of Jesus, mm-hmm. fully known, fully loved. God loves us that way. Imagine a community fully known, fully loved. Well, that's a rare gift. Yeah. That is a rare gift. Yeah. It, it takes a while to, to curate a group like that. I feel like I'm finally at the point where I have some of that going on and it's people I've known for a long time. It's people that sometimes people I've just met, but I can just, you just feel it that they're good for you. Right. And, and I suspect it's always some type of combination 
Um, but I, I'd like to move on and, and maybe ask you a question. So you'd talked about this project yep. and how, I don't know if we're, if we're letting people down with the way we currently are with our current education system, but I guess what I, you had talked about, um, and I don't know if we did, said this on the recording, but you're working on the curriculum for this, yeah. for this project in that in a perfect world, it would be like this, this one year thing where you bring somebody in and you're, you're helping them through the processes that are going to maybe make them more effective when they choose to go to college or wherever they might go next. Yeah. So my question would be, if you have that curriculum in place and you're getting say a 19 year old, so I graduated at 18 and I'm going to come into the program. Um, what, what would be like the perfect student that would be coming into that? Like, what do you wish they had experienced prior to coming into your program? Yeah. How do they, how do they come in and how do they leave maybe? Yeah. Yeah. So it would be a person who comes in with a sense of longing. That's it. That's all they need. They just need mm-hmm. to be open. They need to be teachable. They need to be um, someone who's, who, let's say someone who's really interested in truth, okay. wants to pursue truth, but it's open. Somebody who's teachable. Um, they may, let's say they're 18 years old and they graduate from high school and they're in a space of, I don't know what's next. You know, society is telling me what's next for me is college. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I don't have a sense of my own conviction that this is, yes, what I should do. But they're in that space of, I would say they're at the crossroads. Let's say somebody's at the crossroads. Um, so they would come in with like that. The curriculum that we're working on, it's a series of um, courses. It's um, one's called Learning to Learn. The second one is Design Your Life, which is coming out of Stanford. The third one is Comparative Worldviews. The next one is Comparative Humans, which is where we want to bring Jesus in and introduce him, not shove him down people's throats, introduce him. And then the fourth one is an integrative seminar. And so it's something that's meant to synthesize and integrate and tie all those things together. The idea is that a student would leave and say, as a result of that year long, I'll call it a gap year, just because it helps people. Mm-hmm. People are familiar with a gap year. We really think of it as a bridge. So it's Humanitas bridge. You're coming in here and we're a bridge to the, whatever the next phase of your life is. You would step into the next phase. Let's say it's somebody who is going to go to college or is this is college level learning, but they enroll in a traditional school. They would go there with a sense of understanding their identity. They would know who they are. They would know their worldview. They would know comparative worldviews. They would know the role or purpose that Jesus plays in terms of being fully human. And they would have an intentional know-how about what they're going to major in and why they're doing it. Mm. I am now going to go to XYZ College and major in curls. Why? I've discovered I'm a bicep. And they would do that with a sense of, Union with God, peace. I'm not alone. I'm now in a relationship of peace with God. I'm not doing this by myself. I'm learning to walk with God. I'm embracing Psalm 23 as an operating system for life. And I'm fleshing this out in every single aspect of life. I'm not bifurcating my life and compartmentalizing my life, but it is a whole unified single expression of who I am in Christ. Mm -hmm. They would then go from into their studies that way They would then go into their world of work that way. That would be their place of service. So unity and diversity in the service of love. That's what we see happening. And it would be offered at a price point that every single person can afford it. Mm. So it's affordable, it's accessible to anyone, and it's transformable. Transformation, it's the power of education to transform lives. I would love to have somebody leave the program and say, 
I never knew any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just like my eyes were opened. Like I just never knew. I never knew. I never knew. I never knew. So they'd be intentional. They'd be deliberate. They'd be targeted. They'd be focused. Not so focused that they're not open to change, but they're able to um, experience community, discover their design, gain self-respect, and engage with culture. Mm -hmm. I call that the EDGE, E-D-G-E, acronym. Experience community, discover their design, gain self-respect, and engage with culture. Engage with culture and society. Yeah. Because God calls us, calls us to engage, not to withdraw, but to engage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're not creating biceps. You're helping people discover whether they're a bicep or a tricep. Or, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think and that's that, the beauty of education. That's why I have a high view of education because what does it mean? To pour on and to draw out, mm -hmm. which means you already have it. Yeah. And this whole paradigm that we're describing, this didn't exist until Jesus comes. It's with the coming of Jesus. I mean, if you, if you look at the book of John, it talks about the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's a paradigm shift mm -hmm. away from law into grace and truth. What does grace and truth mean? Well, truth is a person of Jesus. And grace are these deposits of grace because these gifts that we have are manifestations of grace in its various forms. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, making a meal. So like last night we made pork for dinner mm -hmm. and we got out salt and pepper and we put seasoning on the pork. It's almost like when God's getting ready to speak a word over us and birth us, mm -hmm. he pulls out seasoning, except it's gifts. And he puts that seasoning into us. He puts, pours it on us and then goes, Taylor, mm -hmm. what did he have in his hands when he was shaking the ingredients, right? Something different than what he had for the other person. Absolutely. Yeah. Every single person is a unique creation. Mm -hmm. My word. How creative is this God, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how cool is that as a way to think about education? Yeah. Now is there, so say you're leading this, you're, you're one of the, I don't, would you be a professor for this? Yeah, I think what, what we'll probably do is we're going to look for a cohort. We're going to look for a cohort of people, maybe 10 people who say, I'm going to do this. And we're going to walk them through it. And like we were talking about design thinking earlier in the spirit of design thinking, we're just going to flesh it out very iteratively and not know exactly where it goes. Uh, we'll ask other colleges and institutions to receive credit. So in other words, if I went through this program in these six courses and then I decided to enroll at NMC, mm -hmm. would NMC take credit or give credit for these courses that I took? Yeah. And we're going to discover whether colleges will or won't. Well, it will be taught by people who have taught at the college level before. Okay. So yeah. we'll have quote unquote college professors. Um, but we're more interested in life transformation than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's you, really the heart of it. Do you think that um, COVID like this, I think I believe has been a need for a long time. Has sure. COVID expedited yeah. the need Yeah. or what role has it played? I think COVID has played a role in, in two, I think two primary ways. Um, one is, COVID has caused people to ask different questions because if there could be some pandemic and you could die any week, right? Mm -hmm. any, would you change the way you live your life? Would you think about how you've lived your life? If you knew that, if you just knew, I mean, I know people, it's, this isn't true, but just as a thought experiment, if I knew between today and two years from now, I was going to die, mm -hmm. would that change the way I think and live my life now? I think it would. Yeah. So COVID has brought about a sense of, I would say urgency to think about things that matter, mm -hmm. but it's also provided an incredible opportunity, especially in the education realm, 
because the online environment is now going to become an acceptable platform for delivery. Mm -hmm. And so this BCAD world that I was describing earlier, there are many institutions that are saying, we are going to drill down and double down on our online offerings Mm -hmm. and allow technology to expand that out into the world. We're not hoping that online goes away and we can't wait to get back to -to face-to-face. They're saying, no, we're now going to create a whole nother track of online offerings and just see where it goes. There are schools, give you an example, University of Illinois, that is no longer offering their face-to-face MBA or master's in accounting program. Hmm. All they're doing is an online offering through an educational platform called Coursera. That's all they're doing. So they've abandoned face-to-face. And it's not a temporary thing. It's permanent. And is that good or bad? Well, I guess you have to ask the students. Right. It probably depends. Right. It depends. It depends on the students. I think there's good things. There's bad things. It's a combination of both. But what it does is it allows, um, think about values of affordability, accessibility, and transformability. I would see those are our three values. Does it provide affordability? Yes, because it drives the price down. Does it provide accessibility? Yes. So anybody in the world has access to those programs mm-hmm. now. Where before you used to have to go to a campus, now it's almost like the campus is coming to you. Right. If you want that. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, it's, it's a paradigm shift and it causes us to start asking questions about what are the new models that we need to press into for the futuring of education, what I would say around a goal of human flourishing. Mm-hmm. What does education look like if the goal is to see human flourishing? And there are a lot of people starting to ask those kinds of questions. Yeah. So are we, is, is where society is at right now uh, more have the goal of like corporate flourishing? Well, <laughs> okay. This is a great question. If we were to go up into the, up into the hot air balloon, the models of education that we have all been brought up in, have an origin and the origin is 1870. The canopy over the 1870 is the industrial revolution. Mm. So if you can picture an industrial revolution as in a big giant canopy, and then you have education responding to that industrial revolution. Okay. In 1870 out of Harvard, which I love that Harvard has an H and Humanitas project has an H. Mm -hmm. I just love the H's. So anyway, Harvard made the decision. They were, the president of Harvard, his name is Charles Elliott, was confronted with three roads. Charles, is the purpose of education research? Is the purpose of education liberal arts? Is the purpose of education jobs training? And Charles Elliott said, I don't know we're going to make it about all three. Okay. That's where the Bachelor of Science degree came from. That's where the master's degree came from. That's where the idea of a credit hour came from. So you take a class and you get three credit hours yeah. or four credit. That all was established in 1870. Wow. I didn't know this, that. Most people, do, I never knew that. Mm. I mean, this is kind of the awakening. I'm like, I never knew that. So, oh, you want a bachelor's degree? 120 credit hours. Mm-hmm. We are under an industrial revolution. So you have education responding to economic realities. Fast forward 150 years is where we are right now. 2020. Let's just say 2020, that's 150 years later. I think we're in the exact same space all over again, except we have a knowledge economy and a technological revolution. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So with this knowledge economy and a technological revolution, we're confronted with what's the purpose of education? Mm -hmm. 
And I would say to help people become fully human. And I really do believe this, Taylor. The decisions that we are making right now are going to be the platform and the groundwork for the next 150 years in higher education. I call that 150 next. Because this was 150 then, and now we're at a time where it's 150 next. That yes. What we do and the decisions we're making, and I think it's a mistake to see education respond to economic realities. Okay. I think education should be a response to human realities. And then economy is a manifestation of that. Mm. Are you saying that economy doesn't matter, Steve? I'm not saying that. Are you saying that jobs don't matter? I'm all about works, 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 right? So I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we run the risk of the idolatry of economy. Hmm. We should not be putting economy first. It's being fully human first. Then economy is a manifestation of that. Hmm. What if we had a whole group of people fully free in God, living a Psalm 23 kind of life, right? Let's say fully sanctified, pursuing full, pursuing fully, these are I-N-G verbs, right? Pursuing fully human expressed in different venues in the economy. The economy is then a manifestation of those people, Mm -hmm. right? They're letting their light so shine that men might see your good works and glorify the father and glorify God. So we, economy matters greatly, but economy is not first. Okay. I would say economy is third. That doesn't seem very American. <laughs> it's maybe new American, right? <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. I, I never knew that either. I mean, I'm sitting here surprised as anybody who's hearing this for the first time, because I never knew that. I was just doing research and going, how come I never knew that? And then to realize, oh my gosh. I just kind of assume this is the way it's always been and it's got to be the best way because it's the way we have and we're mm-hmm. Americans, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. And it's not true. And But now the beauty is here we are at the crossroads all over again and we have an opportunity to say we got a whole new knowledge economy and we are in the midst of a technological revolution. So let's go back and say, what does education look like? What does higher education look like? Mm-hmm. And what if we say, Let's not make the mistakes of the past. Let's learn from the past. Let's start with what does it mean to be fully human and watch the economy emerge as a result of that. You know what that's going to take if we do that? Faith. Mm -hmm. You start talking about faith, right? Yeah. That's going to require trust. Mm -hmm. That's going to require faith. Yeah. I keep, I keep thinking about my generation. So I'm of the infamous millennial generation and we take a lot of, a lot of crap. But I've always tried to frame it as what an exciting uh, responsibility we have, because I don't know overall that my generation is okay with you know, perpetuating that status quo or whatever it is. Right. And this all speaks to me in that way yeah. of, oh, you mean we can, we can value things other than the dollar. Right. And, and perhaps the dollar can be just kind of a neat byproduct of that in the future. Yes. But so many of my friends are entrepreneurs and they have spent time in a nine to five and decided, you know, it's not for me. I'm going to take this risk and and build my own thing. And a lot of times it is at the expense of that dollar, Yes. but they're finding value in other areas of their life. Right. And I think that's always the push and pull is, um, you know, do I, 
do I want to start my own thing and, and pour my heart into it and, and run those risks? Or do I want to work the nine to five and maybe I'm not passionate about it, but I know that as soon as it hits five o'clock, I get to go try to find my purpose elsewhere. Right. And I think there's room for both of those Absolutely. ways of thinking. Yeah. But it is interesting because to me, I see this kind of happening within my own group of friends, the things that you're speaking to. So I wonder if also this is, you know, this generation, the millennials and the ones that, that, that are after are kind of ripe for this type of I thinking. think so. Because I think there, it's, almost, it's different to say there's dissatisfaction, which I think there's a high level of dissatisfaction with what currently is, but we don't know the alternative. Mm-hmm. And so we just speak against what is, and we're not sure what to push into. You know, the desire to be an entrepreneur is a God-given desire because remember mastery, autonomy, and purpose, mm-hmm. autonomy. Yeah. So when I meet someone who says, I really want to start my own business, I think that's because you're made in the image of God. Yeah. Does that mean everybody should do that? No. Um, the, the difference, what I would see is when a person who has that entrepreneurial flair to go into that, knowing that you're doing it in a relationship of union with God and that he's leading, he's guiding, you're following and you're trusting. It's a whole different scenario than I'm just going to cut and go out on my own. Mm -hmm. And I think each person has to decide what's best for them, but a community that can speak into your life. I mean, I might say, Taylor, I know you enough to know that you're never going to be happy in a nine to five job. It's yeah. just not you. Um, then you have to make the decision to what you do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a God-given desire. And I think that I agree with you. I think that millennials and Gen Xers or Gen Z, the new generations, I think that um, under God's sovereignty, I think he's just raising up generations. It's a question of, if we're going to say no to X, what is it that we're going to say yes to? What's the why? Mm-hmm. We're going to say yes to Y. To say no to X and yes to Y is different than just saying no to X. Because right. then I don't know why. Right. What are you going to turn to? Like, if not this, then what? <clears throat> it's almost like people are saying, by not turning to X, I have defined Y. No, you're not. Your why is not turning to X. You need to know offensively, proactively, what are you turning to? What is it that you're turning to? And I think people want to turn to being full human. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just know that this is, is, is I just know what's going to happen. Um, I just sense it. I know it. I know it's coming. The questions in education are starting to revolve more around questions of being human, but Jesus is still away from that table. Mm-hmm. And so that's the value added product that we bring, not in a, again, not shoving it down anybody's throat, but to simply let him pony up, let him be at that table, mm-hmm. let him speak for himself. But I do think the longings of your friends, you, the generations that, I'm just going to sound weird to a 31 year old, but the generations after you, mm-hmm. you know, you're not Z, right. you're too old to be a Z. Yeah. I mean, you're an old man. I know. <laughs> I'm realizing that. <laughs> Yeah. You mean I'm not Z? Oh no. <laughs> um, but all this is happening under God's um, plan and under his purposes. And um, I just think we're on the precipice of a rediscovering of Jesus. Hmm. Rediscovering Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's exciting to think about because so many negative things have happened. I mean, you think about the pandemic itself and how that is such a, so many people have, have died, have lost loved ones, have had their worlds like shaken yeah. and just turned upside down. Um, 
And you don't want to make light of that by saying perhaps this is a point of um, refinement. But I, I think it is. I think it is an opportunity for refinement. Now, that doesn't mean to downplay the losses that people have experienced. Right. But is it a point where we can move forward in a different way that's maybe more sustainable and does the world a little bit more good? It's exciting. Yeah. It's really exciting. What's a, what does a sustainable humanity look like? Yeah. I, <laughs> I know what it looks like, I think, in my life. And when I think of sustainability, I just think of something that I'm not going to get tired of right. and trying to shape, shape a life for myself and, and my family that is sustainable in all the areas that should be sustainable. Um, I don't I think of like plastic society, throw away, uh, use and, and throw away. Right. And just valuing things in such a way that I want to keep them around. Yeah. is I don't know, sustainability to me. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, it's a strange question, right? Cause we think of sustainability. <clears throat> we don't necessarily think about human sustainability. Are we going to just implode? If we mm -hmm. just keep going. Are we going to implode? Um, and that's not a good choice. That's not a good alternative, but I, I'm super excited. I mean, I know there's a lot of work to be done, but I just see so many things coming together. And because of technology, like just sitting here, being able to do a podcast, this kind of stuff, this can go anywhere in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, the opportunities that we have, um, what would it look like? I mean, imagine a world where every person had the opportunity to live in the fullness of their potential. That's really the why behind Humanitas. Every person should have equal opportunity to live in the fullness of their potential. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that happen? But that's my, my ultimate dream or vision is a world in which all people live in the fullness of their potential and the hope filled power of education to actually pull that off. Mm -hmm. Somebody says to me, what's your vision? That's what I say. People ask, what do you do at the college? I say, I teach accounting. I love all my students. And I dream of a world in which all people live in the fullness of their potential mm -hmm. and the hope-filled power of education to actually pull that off. Yeah. That is my, that's what I do. I teach accounting. I love all my students. And I dream about a world. <laughs> right. And so that's a human sustainability question. Yeah. That, that's an educational initiative where the audience is the person. The audience is people. And that's a shift because we have an institutional model of education. Mm -hmm. And just like last week, I shared this this morning with a group of guys that um, this phrase went through my head. You should say what you, you know, what is this God phrase? What is this? Well, here's the phrase that went through my head. Institution is no longer going to be the only expression of higher education in the 21st century. That there are new models of higher education that are starting to emerge and will continue to emerge because institution is no longer going to be the only expression of higher education mm -hmm. in the 21st century. More options. Yeah. More options. Mm -hmm. Something that's more organic, something that's more biological construct and organism instead of an institution organism, instead of organization, instead of, uh, individual instead of institution, um, network, the idea of a network, 
networking out, people connecting with each other who are like-minded and technology enabling that to happen without boundaries, without borders. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? It's super cool, man. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Imagine the, the, imagine the 12 apostles having the internet. Yeah. <laughs> and doing something like that. Yep. Those words are a human construct words. They're not religion words, mm-hmm. you know, but how cool would that be? No boundaries, no borders. We can share with anyone and everyone who wants to know there is no boundary. Fully accessible, fully affordable, absolutely transformational. Mm. Yeah. So it's pretty cool, you know, and, and we don't have all the answers. We don't pretend to have all the answers um, in any way. We just have a calling. We are moving into this space with this sense of peace of, um, you know, and, and people listening to this, you want to share this with your kids, just cross your fingers. Like it's a good luck sign. Tom Gordon and I shake hands every day this way. Oh yeah. When we shake hands, we cross fingers mm-hmm. and it's just our way of saying peace. Um, but you can teach this to your kids. You know, I show my kids we're playing baseball. Hey Ben. And I go like that. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, remember peace. I know this is weird, but you're not batting by yourself. You're batting yeah. with God. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different way to go through life. Yeah. You know, if you're going to have a rough day and Abby says to you, Taylor, don't forget you go out this morning. Don't forget peace. Mm-hmm. It's just a reminder. I'm not in this alone. I'm walking with, um, and we're trying to move forward with that same sense of peace that it's, we're going to offer something different. It's a different model and see where it goes. Yeah. So and this is it's startup. Yeah. This is, this is very cool to be able to, to watch this unfold and to highlight you. And I could talk for so much longer if I didn't have another interview coming in, but man, this was, <laughs> we went directions. I didn't, I didn't expect. And, um, the depth to what you're, what you're hoping to accomplish. And I suspect you will accomplish is it's just, I don't know, noble, but I, I, I just love the approach and the intentionality and even the lessons. Like I haven't gone through the, the program, but I feel like you've already given me things that I can, can apply to my own life. And I think Great. the listeners will get that too, which is the whole point of the yeah. gold shower podcast. Yeah, you, that's you cool. fit right in. It was awesome. If nothing else, remember true peace, man. Yeah. Fingers crossed. True peace. Yeah. Well, if you don't have anything else uh, to, to leave the people with, I, I really appreciate you coming on. And I, I think much like Tom Gordon, this maybe opens the door for, for an episode two at some point. With oh, I'd love that. Yeah. Um, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I can give you an, an email address at yeah. this point. It's uh, um, humanitasman at gmail.com. Humanitas is H-U-M-A-N-I-T-A-S. And then put a man on the end of it at gmail.com. And I would love to process questions, mm-hmm. connect with people, anybody who's interested in learning more. We don't have a website yet. So this is very germinal. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but so. well thought out and the best of intentions behind it. I love it. So um, yeah. yeah, Steve, thank you so much for being here. We'll do this again sometime. Thanks to you. Yeah. It's All been right. great. And thank you guys for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. This is a Cold Shower Media Production.